podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. And welcome to the Anfield Index Writers Podcast. I am Tom Holmes, and sadly there is no Leanne Prescott this week. She is off having a wonderful cruise holiday and leaving me to do all the uh, all the heavy lifting this week. But I've got two brilliant guests to help fill that void. And uh, first of all, we have got Hamza, who is a regular on this show and a barnstorming writer who's written a barnstorming article for us. Hamza, how are you, my friend? Very good, thank you. Very nice to get inside and out of the sun. So uh, I'm I'm grateful uh, to be doing this today. Thank you very much, Tom. Yeah, any excuse to get people inside out of the sun. And um, also joining us, we've got another newbie. We've been racking up the newbies on the writers' pod. But um, Pete, you've written another great article as well. So it's good to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Yeah, it's always great to have some fresh blood on this show. Um, so we're going to kick off with Hamza's article, which is on Alison. Obviously, Alison's going to be the main topic for this pod. So Hamza, you kind of went out and did all the numbers. You've done collated all the numbers that the AI AI uh, peeps have put together, and you've put them all in one brilliant article. So why don't you sort of give us the overview of the article, your kind of thoughts writing it, and your sort of general impression on Alison, and then we'll kick off the pod. Yeah, so uh, with this piece, uh, lots of people have the, the normal stats when they look at the goalkeeper. And the problem is when you look at these normal stats, they don't really tell you much. You can go and who scored, you might see save percentages. Uh, and pass accuracy, but beyond that, you're not getting much analysis or insight to a, to a goalkeeper. And that's that's a problem within um, football media generally because you don't really see uh, pundits with a, a, gen, uh, a knowledge of goalkeeping on, on, on television, on the radio, uh, online as much. So uh, what, what was handy was that the the under pressure guys, uh, Kenny in particular, did, did a piece which detailed uh, a number of goalkeepers. Uh, and their qualities uh, with save percentages, just uh, not just as, as one stat, but also shots and targets faced, uh, claiming percentages, punches per 90, uh, figures like that, errors over their career, so we could have a much fuller insight into into Alice, and, and then you've got other figures such as XG, XG2, uh, passing accuracy, and that's really what sets Alice apart from the goalkeepers. When you want a goalkeeper... Uh, well, when you want a certain player at a team like Liverpool, Spurs, any top six side, United, Chelsea, they usually have to have a certain uh, quality about them. And this isn't just their technical ability, it's what they do. So if you want a centre-back, for example, if you're playing for, for Arsenal or Liverpool or Spurs, uh, Chelsea, you're going to need a strong centre-back who's going to be able to play the ball, who's got a, an eye for a pass, as well as those traditional abilities to be able to defend properly, to head the ball, to clear the ball, to tackle, and so on. And that's what we have here with Alisson. That's what these figures show uh, that you wouldn't be able to tell with normal figures. Uh, Alisson is a player, uh, as a goalkeeper at a top-level top club, the odds are you're not going to be facing that many shots relative to a, to a normal side uh, or a lower-level side. What is important, though, is that when you do face a shot that you're making the saves, and also those other qualities that you bring. Uh, so we've seen before players like Mignolet, exceptional shot stopper, but a player that struggles with claiming crosses uh, and commanding the area. At a team such as Sunderland, that's fine. You need a player that's going to make those saves, 
you've got big centre backs in front, uh, and you play defensively or with a counter-attacking uh, focus. Uh, so you don't really need to focus on uh, a goalkeeper claiming the ball or being quick off the line or being able to contribute in the build-up. But when you're at a club like Liverpool, that's very, very important. If we're being pressed now, we have Alisson who's able to use his feet really well, who's able to launch the ball forward to best utilise our forwards in a way that Mignolet wasn't, in a way that Carriage was starting to do, but didn't quite get to do. Um, and it's these these safe hands that are really, really important. So in those big moments where we're uh, away from home or we're at home, and it's a closing minutes of the game, and either we're, we're holding on to a lead or away from home, we're, we, we're trying to protect the draw. We need a goalkeeper that's going to come out, claim a cross, claim a long throw in, take the ball down, take the sting out of the game, calm the defence down. And that's exactly what these figures show and uh, analysis on, on Alisson shows and why he's such an important buy and such a good fit for the club, which I'm sure we'll see over the coming weeks and months. OK, a really, really good summary there. Um, so, Pini, if you want to give us sort of your overall thoughts on the article, uh, anything you wanted to take away from that and any responses to anything you wanted to add to what Hamza said, and then we'll get into the discussion. No, I actually quite agree with what Hamza said. I mean, um, it's very clear why we got this guy in, especially after what happened with Carriers. And it's quite a sad situation with him, but then it's a decision that the club needs to make if they want to move ahead, if they want to... Um, challenge for the league this year, stay in as many competitions for as long as possible. So, uh, I agree, his stats are very impressive. The only only thing that I feel is a little bit of an issue is his shot face is uh, quite low, if I'm not mistaken. Hamza, jump in and correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, his total number of shots faced last year at, uh, at Roma was exceptionally low. Uh, yeah, that's right. He hasn't faced that many shots uh, in, in, in the in the bit that's been sampled for, for in his time at Roma. Uh, yeah, um, that is one thing that the the AI guys noted in in the transfer committee analysis. Uh, however, he has faced a large number of shots uh, in previous seasons uh, in Brazil. Uh, he's been playing internationally. He's played at the World Cup, and I think whilst he may not have had. Uh, the experience in terms of the actual shots that he saved, he is gaining that experience through playing at these high-pressure tournaments, uh, through playing in the Champions League, uh, through playing in an increasingly competitive Serie A, which uh, it wasn't a few seasons ago. So I think whilst it, he hasn't saved as many shots as other keepers in that particular analysis, uh, he's still a strong goalkeeper and he's still known for actually being a shot stopper. Uh, so if uh, that being one of his characteristics that's attributed to him by people that have watched him uh, and analysed him, I think uh, we should be comfortable with him not have uh, saved as many shots as the other as the other keeps in analysis, and that shouldn't be uh, as important uh, as a factor as it as it may initially seem. I guess the other thing to note on that is he's not going to face a large volume of shots at Liverpool either. Liverpool, generally, the way we defend, we don't tend to concede lots of shots either. So that might, having not faced quite so many shots, might potentially help us stylistically, if that makes sense. I agree, but the only issue uh, with our wonderful team is that the shots that we do concede are high XG shots. So um, I guess his shot-stopping abilities will come in handy over there. And 
overall i think he's a very good buy he's a very good fit for the team and i think it's the right move but there's always a bit of a niggling doubt in every transfer which i'm sure is the case with uh, you guys too so uh let's see what happens i'm happy with the transfer as of now let's just hope for the best and let's see what happens yeah one thing i did note when i was one sort of discussion we've been having is a lot of people have said oh he's only had one season at the top level he's only had that one season with roma where he was exceptional to which my response is always you you want to be buying players before they have three, four exceptional top level seasons, don't you? Really, because then they're generally not any a they're not as expensive, but b that means they're having all their top level seasons with you. So sometimes you do have to gamble on players who haven't quite had the longevity of um, I think, uh, top level is, I think Allison is expensive enough. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you look. I mean, yeah, exactly. You look, you look at someone like Oblak, who's had three, four seasons at the top level. He's on touch. Ninety million. Yeah, but that's all up front as well. There's no sort of structure of that Damn, deal, whereas at least with Allison, you can structure that deal. That's crazy. It's mental numbers. Um, so Hamza, did you want to talk us through some of the basic numbers then? Uh, sort of the sort of the overall sort of claim percentages, shots, uh, error percentages, just the sort of the basic bits of the numberings before we go into anything complicated. Just to sort of give us an overview, and then um, can you if you want to jump in with anything that you sort of respond to from those numbers. Yeah, sure. So, uh, what you're really interested in, uh, like, uh, as a top goalkeeper, uh, you're looking for those, uh, for, for what Liverpool specifically demand, really, and what we haven't had in recent seasons is probably those claims and punches, success rate, uh, well, claims, success rate, and punches, and claims per 90. Uh, so I remember Summer Mignolet went through a really, really strong patch, uh, around, uh, not, not back in, um, back in 16, 17. Uh, the second half of the season and the last quarter of the season in particular. Uh, and in that period of the season, he was playing exceptionally well. And I think if you, you guys can cast your mind back to that, uh, listeners as well, you will remember he made a number of really good saves and he put in a number of really good performances as a save against Stoke, as a save against West Brom. And in all honesty, those saves in those games, in those moments, probably earned his top four, uh, in those specific moments. And that was a really, really impressive run of form where he was a lot more confident aerially. Uh, he was making a lot more saves and Allison claims at a better rate than Mignolet did then. He's more successful in claims and punches, uh, it, as well, uh, than Simon Mignolet was then as well. Uh, in terms of errors, now this is a really, really big one. Uh, in Tom's article from not so long ago, I think he mentioned that uh, the frequency to which goalkeepers make mistakes. Allison's frequency is around half of that. He, in the recorded, uh, figures that he, we, we have for him. So in 8,000 minutes, 8,205 minutes, he's made five errors, which is, uh, one error every 1,641 minutes, uh, which is, I've got it in the, the, the stats, but let me just work it out quickly. Every 18 games. Uh, and this isn't necessarily an error lead to a goal, even though as a goalkeeper that's more likely, obviously. Uh, but that means over the course of the season uh, in the league, you'll probably only see two errors, which is that's all right for a goalkeeper. That's a, that's pretty pretty damn good uh, comparatively. Uh, over Karius's nine thousand four hundred ninety-one minutes, he's made fourteen errors. Uh, and Karius, in his time at Liverpool, apart from the Champions League final, wasn't a particularly error-prone goalkeeper. 
So in in this respect, what we have here is a goalkeeper that uh, isn't just an improvement with regards to his aerial ability, with his ability on the ball, with his shot stopping ability, but also in terms of his uh, his match focus and the propensity to make mistakes. And I think that has really been what's cost us uh, in key games, uh, because as fantastic as it is to have a goalkeeper that saves points, the very minimum that you want from your goalkeeper is that they're a net a neutral uh, influence on, on your team. That is, they're, they're making the saves they should be making, and they're not letting in ones or making errors to ones that they shouldn't shouldn't be making. And uh, what we have here is a goalkeeper that's actually exceeding that. But but in in the past we've had goalkeepers that were below that 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 net uh, that net uh, neutral level. So uh, these are the really important things. So without really taking into consideration save percentages, it's, it's the errors that have cost us. And what we have here is a goalkeeper that with a low propensity to make errors. And I think that's a really important factor uh, that I think we will all be very grateful for over the coming season. Yeah, I agree. He seems to be a very, very low, error, low errors, high aerial percentage, all that kind of stuff. Those are all key areas of the game beyond just the standard sort of being able to keep the ball out the back of the net, which is an area where uh, mini lane carriers have maybe not necessarily struggled as much. I think the other thing is confidence is quite a big thing. So, for example, you know, if you're making aerial mistakes, if you're making errors, that does affect your save percentage. It's going to affect how well you keep the ball out the back of the net because of your confidence. And we've seen that with carriers. Um, can you anything you wanted to respond to there? Any of the basic numbers you wanted to sort of quest, have a chat about or anything you wanted to pick out as being particularly important for a goalkeeper that, impro- that excites you about Allison? Uh, as Hamza said, his uh, errors per uh, his errors overall are extremely low, and his minutes per error figure is fantastic. So that bodes well for a team like us because most of the times when we do give up uh, those high xG uh, shots, a lot of the times goalkeeping error is somehow involved. Or, you know, and it, it's quite a, a sad situation at the club right now. Uh, Hamza, I actually wanted to talk to you about something else. Um, I have seen some stats floating around um, Twitter here and there about um, distribution stats for goalkeepers. I wonder if you came across anything for, like that for Allison because uh, of the little that I've seen of the guy, his distribution seems absolutely superb. Uh, yeah, that's right. So um, Ashwin Raman uh, at the footballist on Twitter did an analysis where uh, he looked at several features of goalkeepers one of which was a save percentage within the danger zone. Uh, another was um, save percentage in general. Uh, but the one that uh, is relevant to this is he, he made uh, a, an, an analysis of a pass success, success rate and made a pass rating. So what he factored in was uh, volume, variety, accuracy and favoured long passing, obviously, because uh, the accuracy in a long pass is harder, but also more important because a goalkeeper can make a lot of short passes. That would be rather simple, really. And um, in the analysis, uh, Alisson features the best with uh, 25 in in this uh, this index. There's no, no scale. So 25 was the, the top mark available there. Um, and that was higher than uh, Marc-Andre de Stegen, Barcelona's goalkeeper, uh, 4.4% and 16%, uh, well, 16.8% higher than Reynan and Edison. Uh, Edison, who we know is an absolutely fantastic goalkeeper on the ball, uh, with a fantastic kicking ability. Uh, so Alisson in this regard is, is really, really good. I think that he'll really be able to get the best out of, uh, Salah and Marnie in particular, 
be, be it on the counter-attack, uh, on, on corners, this, this, uh, opposition corners could now be a set piece for us. If they send the ball in, we take it and we can release immediately. We're able to spring onto opposition teams and really take the game and, uh, by the scruff of the neck and, and really thrust our sword in. Uh, and I think if you take, think back to the, I think West, West Ham game this season where we did that. Yeah. We took the yeah, part yeah, of the counter attack. Twice we did that. Yeah, that yeah. And there was, uh, Arsenal game as well, uh, at, at Anfield when, uh, Salah scored that strike on very uh, mistake, right? Yeah, that's right. But I think with Alisson though, we can now spring attacks when opposition teams are committed forward. When, uh, and, uh, he's got that pinpoint accuracy and you've seen the importance of that for Man City, uh, where a goalkeeper is taking goal kicks and then not just pushing it as, uh, Pushing the opposition team as far back as possible, where there's actually an in- intent to it, an offensive intent. Uh, but more important, as well, equally important is perhaps his contribution to the build-up. Now, uh, so we have a goalkeeper that's able to pass accurate, uh, accurately out from the back in terms of short passing and mid-range passing. If we're being pressed, for for example, and he's able to make a pass forwards to our six Fabinho or even to one of our free-roaming eights. What he's done there, he's probably taking out, um, if there's three opposition presses or four, he's taken those four players straight out of the game with a simple pass. Uh, those players are no longer uh, able to influence the game as they're behind the ball, uh, uh, as they're behind the ball, and we're able to progress the ball up the field and take advantage of that and the space that they've left in behind. Uh, Karius, while he had decent long range ability, uh, he wasn't particularly skilled with that, that short passing, uh, or mid range passing. And Mignolet, as we know, he, he did struggle with his kicking. So it's very welcome to have a goalkeeper that is strong, stronger with their kicking. If we think back to Reyna, uh, his long kicking was a real asset. I remember him firing one forward to Riera. Uh, I think Desainer's goal at Old Trafford was also assisted by him. These are the yeah, sort of things so. that we should hope to see, maybe not expect, but hope to see, uh, Alisson offer us in terms of his distribution because uh, as we know, we have a majority of possession in most games, and it's important that as many players as we have within the team influence it uh, in a positive manner. Okay, some fantastic stuff there. Um, that was a really, really interesting discussion there. Um, I love it when you guys just go off and do your own thing. It's brilliant. It means I don't have to do any word, any hard work. Um, Hamza, one more question about the sort of the numbers before we get into a bit more of a general discussion about Alisson. Um, the XG2 data, because this is one of those things that a lot of people who aren't necessarily familiar with XG especially, but even people who are familiar with XG, uh, it's, it's quite a data-heavy element. So I was hoping you could put his XG2 numbers into layman's terms for us and sort of explain, because, I mean, I've had a look at his data and I understand XG quite well. Um, and to me, it looks like he's an absolutely elite-level keeper in the last 12 months or so. So I was hoping you could put some of that XG2 data into a bit of context for us. Uh, yeah, sure. So, um, I'll just do a quick introduction to XG if anyone doesn't know what it is. Um, so imagine I have the ball in the middle of the six yard box in a game and I'm about to take a shot. The percentage chances of me scoring us, let's say 95% there. If I take a shot from the halfway line and I've got a particularly good right foot, let's say the, the chances of that going in are 1%. Now, and that will be quite high, but just for the argument's sake. Uh, so what we have there is a XG chance of 0.95 and XG chance of 0.1. That's, that's pretty much what, what XG is. It just quantifies how good an opportunity is. Uh, 
based on the position of the shot. XG2, though, is a bit more advanced. It takes into uh, account the, the pressure on the ball, uh, the type of shot, uh, the sort of, uh, the, the context, really, which, uh, will separate a normal shot from, say, six yards out. Say, if I had four defenders on me, uh, and I'm face, facing the wrong way and I scuff, scuff the ball, XG2 will take that into account. Uh, and reduce that 0.95 uh, XG, which I had with the XG1 model, uh, down a bit because of the, the type of shot and the context uh, of the, the defenders and the type of shot around me, uh, the, the players around me and the type of shot, obviously. Um, and what Colin Trainer did, uh, he no, sorry, uh, Mark Taylor did, was a remarkable XG2 analysis in which he concluded that um, for an average goalkeeper, they would only uh, beat Allison's record 2.5% of the time with with uh, XG2. That, that, that's astounding, really, uh, because uh, we've seen goalkeepers have um, strong patches before uh, in one part of the season uh, and tail off. Uh, but what Allison has shown here is remarkable consistency. And, uh, as the, the article shows, there's only, I think, one error made over the season. Uh, but it's things such as these that really show that he's making those saves that you expect him to save and also the ones that you're not expecting him to save. Uh, he's doing his job first and foremost and then doing that bit more as well. And it's not just a bit more, it's a, a considerable amount more. Um, in terms of um, post-shot XG, which is pretty cool, it's basically XG2, uh, there was a period where he went through a real purple patch. Now, uh, I remember a few of our players have had excellent patches of form. I remember Suarez when I think he got to around 12 goals in that season where he scored 31 goals was going at around scoring at a rate of one in three, so a 33% conversion rate. Mo Salah recently, uh, at one point, was exceeding that. Uh, and what we're seeing with Allison when he had his nice purple patch that he was comparable to the best goalkeepers in Europe. Uh, his save efficiency around December 2017 was around 151. 0.5%. So he was saving those shots which were expected to be saved and then 50% more which he wasn't. Uh, at this point, only Mark Andrew Stegen, Jan Black, and David De Gea uh, were exceeding it. And David De Gea is absolutely su- superhuman. At that point, he was going at around 180%. Uh, but I think comparing uh, Alisson to De Gea in perhaps the, the best, the form of his life. Uh, is a bit unfair there, even though he's still comparable, which is remarkable in itself. Uh, over the course of the season, that dropped, and we don't have the post, uh, post-shot XG for the whole season, uh, but his XG save efficiency for the whole season was around 128.6, and I'm tending towards thinking that his post-shot XG would be a bit higher, but I can't, I can't say for certain. But um, yeah, that, that's an intro- introduction to uh, XG and XG2, which is post-shot XG as well. That is some heavy-duty stuff, but I think that what we're taking away from that there is that Allison is a keeper who, if he can get somewhere near the form that he was in last season, is going to be a pretty elite-level shot stopper for us. Just sort of moving on to talk about more general stuff now. We've gone over a lot of numbers in this in this conversation, which, I mean, obviously some of our some of our listeners might not necessarily be quite keeping up with. So why don't we jump back to sort of the more the basics. Uh, in terms of Allison, how excited are you for this guy to come into our midfield, uh, to come into our, our team, sorry. Uh, very excited. Um, 
I mean, it's it's a situation that's been crying out for some sort of resolution for I God only knows how long now, and we've never had a keeper that say Reina maybe first two or maybe the third year after that we've never had a keeper that we could say is truly world class, and in Liverpool has been shambles for a long time now, so to finally pay this top dollars and get this keeper in. Uh, is a big relief for everyone at the club and I'm sure for all supporters around the world. I mean, there's always a little bit of a gamble in any transfer. So whether it pays off, time will tell. But at least we're making the right moves. We're moving in the right direction. So, yeah, extremely happy and uh, looking forward to the new season now. Okay, brilliant stuff. Um, and Hamza, I'll let you sort of finish up on this topic as it's your article. Same question to you, really. Just how excited are you for Alisson having obviously done all the digging, looked at all the numbers... How excited are you? And just one final question. Do you think there's any weaknesses, any weaknesses in his game? Um, as you can probably tell, I'm, I'm really excited about having a, a really good goalkeeper. We've seen the difference that it makes at other, at other clubs. David De Gea for Manchester United has been the difference between them finishing outside of the top four and then finishing second. It's absolutely incredible the work that he does. And it's been really disappointing that we have had goalkeepers that haven't been able to do something uh, comparable at least, not even similar, just comparable, uh, and in some games costing us, I think back to the, the League Cup final, uh, the Europa League final, the Champions League final, I, I, I don't really like to blame Carriers for that, obviously, yet he took a knock to the head, and I think it's really unfair to, to, to blame him for that. Um, but even then, It'd be nice to see Carriers making some incredible saves previous to that, prior to that, over that, that second half of the season. He did make one against Everton, which was really great. It was fantastic. And that really sticks out. But for me, that's the only one that does stick out. And I hope that having a goalkeeper like Allison will mean that, uh, we have more of those, those moments where we go, well, thank you. Thank God we put him in goal. Uh, look how many points that he's saved. Look how many points that he's won for us. Uh, but, with respect to um, weaknesses, yeah, uh, he is known for parrying a bit. Uh, the defence will have to be on their toes. Uh, with um, Premier League oppositions, they, if we play against two strikers uh, or a nippy striker, we've got to be aware that they could be uh, getting in behind off that last man and trying to get that rebound. They, they might think about actually targeting that. Uh, but that's something as a young goalkeeper he can work on. Uh, it is something we've got to be a bit wary about. His punch success rate uh, is quite high. And as you know, uh, goalkeepers, if they face a hard shot, sometimes they're, they're likely to punch it, in which case parrying isn't too much of an issue. Uh, it, it's as long as they get that ball away from the danger zone. Uh, also, because Alisson's positioning is so strong and because he's so quick on his feet, when he does parry, he, he's usually up very quickly to stop the follow-up, but to at least try and cover the follow-up. Uh, so it's not a glaring issue. It's just something that he likes to do. Uh, so you just keep an eye out for it. Uh, we'll see if it's, it becomes a bigger issue. We'll see if it's something menial. Uh, but super excited to have him on board at the club. Yeah, me too. Um, for what it's worth, from my point of view, I, I think having looked at his numbers, I'm extremely excited. I think, I, as I said, I looked at his... Um, 
his XG numbers as well. They are not quite our Black and De Gea levels, but there's very few goalkeepers that you could look at, you could pick out of a lineup and say, you know what, that goalkeeper is significantly better than Allison. There's only, you know, a handful. We are talking about maybe count on one hand how many goalkeepers were better than Allison last season in Europe, which for me is exciting because it's like you said, we don't want a goalkeeper where we can pick out one or two saves a season and go, oh, that was like, you know, that was a save. That was a great save. That was you, you want a goalkeeper like De Gea, like Oblak, where you're looking at and you're going, there, there aren't situations where you think that's an, an unbelievable save. I can pick this one out of a lineup because he makes, you know, two, three unbelievable saves every month or so. So you want a goalkeeper who's making those sorts of saves that he shouldn't probably be making week in, week out, rather than just one who does it occasionally. Um, so, yeah, I'm very, very excited. As I say, I think all his numbers stack up really well. He looks like a complete keeper, which is one of the things that the article for me really reinforced me about because I was... I wasn't worried about it, but I'd only really looked at his save numbers. So I thought, all right, this is a lad who is not going to let the ball go in the back of the net. But stuff like his errors is great. His punches and claims. I wasn't sure if he was going to be an aerially strong keeper because we've had conversations in the past where it has looked like Klopp hasn't necessarily tended towards an aerially strong keeper. But he looks like one of those. Um, I just think he looks like a complete package. His distribution from what I've seen of it is terrific. Um, he seems to be very, very alert. His concentration rarely seems to be an issue. Um, obviously, you know, he's not not necessarily perfect, not necessarily finished article yet, but he does look like a significant upgrade on what we've got. And that, for me, is the most important thing to be excited about. Um, so we're going to go on to talk about Punit's article, which is on FSG and whether or not this Allison signing is a statement of intent, because this is one of the sort of the phrases that's bandied about quite a lot when, when FSG go and do something like spend 60 million on a goalkeeper. It's a statement of intent. It's Liverpool indicating that they're going to go out and win the league. It's FSG showing that they're very serious about running this club properly. So, so um, Puny, you don't necessarily agree that it is a statement of intent. Um, so I'll let you give us the overview on your article, your overall thoughts on the issue, and then we can go into a discussion. Well, basically, the point that I'm trying to make through the article is that it's not a statement of intent as in it's not something new or something different that FSG is trying They've been doing this since day one. It's a learning curve. They're learning. They're uh, understanding more about how the football world works. And uh, as they're evolving, they're getting better results. And they're getting better at it. But the intent was the same from the day that they bought the club over. That was to win the trophies. Specifically to bring the title back home. And uh, they are progressing well along that line. So... When people bandy about saying that, uh, when people talk about a statement of intent from FSG, it kind of takes away from the fact that they have always shelled out the money when they've been asked to. There's never been a time when they've said, no, that we are not going to spend on this particular player or we can't spend this much on that player. There's always been a system in place where if the system decides that this player has to be gotten, they do get him. Whether it be initially with the director of football that they appointed, uh, after that the infamous transfer committee, with whatever the committee decided to do, they backed them to the hilt. And now the new system that seems to be in place with Edwards, Klopp and Gordon. And uh, it seems to be working and they just learned more along the way. But the intention has never changed. So the statement of intent uh, as a phrase, I don't think it properly applies to the situation. Okay. That's some, I think, I think. I mean, I personally thought it was a really, really interesting article. I thought it added something very, very different. And for me, that's exactly what the writer's pod is about. It's about getting on 
writers who've written interesting pieces that are a bit different, they're a bit thought-provoking. Um, so Hamza, I'm curious to get your thoughts on this because you're uh, famously on this pod a massive FSG fan, you very much. So I, th- I wasn't sure whether or not you'd agree with uh, Punitzi, and I thought you'd agree that you know F- you've always thought FSG have done a good job. But do you think this is the case that FSG is stepping it up a notch, or do you think that it's uh, more the case that this is just then business as usual for them? I think uh, it, it, it raises an interesting point about the the sort of footballing lexicon and uh, how certain terms are deployed uh, within discussions about football uh, and how they're misleading, really. And uh, this is one of them. And I, I really like the way that it's been approached. Uh, uh, I think I think the, the core premise is, is correct. Uh, this is very much a continuation uh, of what we're seeing. I think the, the phrase learning curve is, is completely apt for this as well. Uh, but when you think of terms uh, like statement of intent, like uh, net spend, terms that really shouldn't be applied to businesses as, as the club is, uh, terms that are, are unappreciative of the context as net spend is, uh, it, it, it simplifies mm-hmm. the discussion, it simplifies football uh, in a way that I think um, isn't conducive to a proper discussion. I, and I really appreciate this article for, uh, for being able to open up the discussion in a way that uh, we haven't been able to do so before. Uh, I do very much think it, it's the way the club uh, has been doing things. I, I think we've been building towards this. Uh, I know you said that uh, I'm an FSG fan, uh, but I think what I would like to stress more than anything is just I, I feel the, the ownership gets a bit more criticism than, than, than is fair. I think if we are fair to the ownership, what they have set out is over the past few years, the past eight years, is, is a plan, and they've stuck to that. And probably over the past three seasons, uh, have overperformed and exceeded where they probably expected to be. Uh, we've seen when, when they took over, the club was in financial ruin, uh, not, and the, the team on the pitch was a mess. What we have now, uh, is Liverpool are in one of the, the strongest positions of any club in Europe to spend money right now. Uh, as Mo Chapter has shown on, on his Money Talks piece and, and, and with his threads that he tweets, uh, we have raised revenues, we have um, increased the capacity of the stadium, we've increased our commercial links through consecutive top four qualification, we've got more revenue, and that allows us to invest in the club. And I think that's, it's not just FSG, I think it's most football owner, uh, ownerships but with a genuine interest in the club and a genuine uh, desire for the club to do better, be it for want of more profits for themselves, more, more dividends for shareholders, or really a, a genuine ambition uh, to see their, their club win trophies, uh, I think it doesn't really matter. That's that's what that's what they want to see. They want to see growth. They want to see progress. And I think most ownerships uh, would would like to conduct things the way that we have done. And I think uh, we're going about that the right way. And we're seeing several years of work. Uh, several years of work where we've had to be patient, finally now coming, uh, coming to fruition. And I think that's probably the, the best way to describe it. And, I, and this article is fantastic in, uh, in discussing, uh, these things or touching on these things in a very succinct manner. Uh, and yeah, I, I enjoyed this article as you can probably. T- yeah, it's a really, really strong article. I, I completely agree. Um, I don't, 
I say, I, I, don't, I don't necessarily agree that it is not a statement of intent. But what I will say is we can go into sort of, you know, we can talk about briefly. Um, Liverpool obviously made a lot of really strong deals in the last 12 months. I mean, in the last, you know, in the last year alone, we've brought in Mo Salah, Virgil van Dijk, Naby Keita. Those are just the three biggest names. We obviously also brought in Oxley Chamberlain, Robertson, amongst others. Uh, Solanke is obviously a smaller one. And then this summer, of course, Fabinho and now Alisson. So, you know, in many respects, what FSG... Don't forget Shakiri. Of course, don't forget Shakiri either. So what, um, what FSG have done is they've brought in a lot of key players and they focused on key areas. Um, but clearly this isn't just a case of FSG or Liverpool. It's got to be the individuals who work within that. And I think uh, you obviously, you've already raised it, uh, Puny. It's the, the trio of Gordon Edwards and Klopp who have sort of built this uh, built this uh, enterprise that's really worked really well together. And Mel Reddy uh, wrote a fantastic article sort of yeah, looking, at, looking at the three. Um, so I, I really recommend you check that one out. But um, but Puny, how important do you think those three people have been, particularly Klopp and Edwards to an extent, sort of uh, building this atmosphere in the club where Liverpool can go out and spend 60 million on a goalkeeper and that's not considered to be a, out of character. So I don't know how uh, influential uh, Edwards or Klopp would be towards the ability to pay that kind of money because I think that's more towards the commercial side of it where, as Hamza touched upon, we've really turned things around and uh, we are... Uh, become one of the most uh, commercially successful and one of the most stable clubs in England and Europe right now. And uh, But what these guys have done is kind of fine-tuned the formula that was being uh, being used under the previous transfer committee and they have... Edwards has come in and he's changed things around and uh, instead of going for players that are, that we think are on the verge of becoming something special... We've changed tactics and started going for players that are special because we wa- we have a lot of good players, but we need the f- great players to fill in the spine and really push the team to the next level. So it's an evolution. They're learning on the job. I don't think Edwards knew much about football before he came over. So, uh, and... Uh, I mean, the guy really has to be commended for the kind of work that he's putting into these transfers. Inwards, outwards, whatever it is, but it's been absolutely amazing. And Klopp is like the go-between for all these people and uh, he's the one who brings it all together because at the end of the day, he, like he said, he has the last say on transfers. So he's the one who gives the go-ahead and then Gordon signs off and there we go. Yes, some really interesting stuff. Um, Hamza, I'll sort of go to you for this next part of the question. Do you think that this sort of uh, the sort of the spending that Liverpool have brought in the last in the last uh, twelve to eighteen months is that as much a case of the the transfer market itself changing as it is Liverpool showing more intent? Because obviously, you know, the truth is now big thirty million even three years ago thirty million was considered a big signing. Whereas now, if you look at the market, 30 million is a mid, mid-range signing and you're looking at, you have to spend 50, 60, 70 million just to keep level. I mean, you know, a lot of people will talk about Liverpool spending this summer, but is it comparable with Manchester City or Man United spending over the last few years? Do you think this is just a case of Liverpool adapting to the market rather than Liverpool upping their game? Um, I think it's a few things. 
Uh, I think uh, the, the 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 changes in the market are obvious. Um, so clubs have to adapt. I think um, we have more money available, so we are willing to adapt. But I also think it's circumstantial in the the sense of where Liverpool are as a club right now. Uh, if we try to spend a similar sum on Allison a few years ago, uh, I well let's say Allison, let's say we try to sign Oblak three seasons ago for the same amount of money, uh, and let's say we also got Champions League. Well, uh, let's say eighty nine million wasn't a big. So, uh, actually, we'll do a different one. We tried. We tried to sign Oblak for around fifty million three years ago. Uh, back then, I don't think Oblak would have considered us. There's no point in us making the bid. Uh, let's say we tried to sign Naby Keita for I don't know thirty five million pounds, and let's say he's the same age he was. Uh, he is now three years ago. I also think he probably wouldn't have joined us if he had offers from Barcelona and, uh, and Bayern Munich. The same can be said for Mo Salah. The same can be probably said for Van Dijk as well. Imagine we bid fifty million for him, and he's the same age that uh, he is now uh, when City bought John Stones. Uh, I don't think he would have been as willing as he was to join if he had offers from City uh, back then as well. I think this is very much progression of the club combining uh, with the demand of the transfer market and our ability to be able to spend because we are now able to attract these top quality players we're going to pay for them when we if we try to do that before they probably wouldn't have been interested uh so it's a combination of probably these three things the the transfer market itself and inflation our willingness and our ability to be able to to meet these prices and also the willingness uh of other players of top quality players wanting to join the club and i think it's that combination which means that we're now in ability uh, in a position where we can pay top money and these players will want to join uh, so I think it's those three things coming together that really explain why we're spending as much as we are right now uh, and it's not just a case of uh, the club showing intent so I, I rarely think uh, young Klopp sits in his office and thinks you know what what, what we need is a is a marquee signing to, to scare Manchester City. That, that's not really what he's thinking. What he's probably thinking is we need a few signings here and there uh, to increase our squad depth so we can challenge Manchester City. It's not about showing intent. Like he said with Alisson, a player became available and if that's the price, you pay it. It's not about sh- showing anyone else uh, what you want to do. Uh, it's about building your squad in the best way possible, having those players that suit your needs. And I think that's what we're going after. And we're going after a very specific profile of player. We can't just have uh, a midfielder that's static. We can't have a, a fullback without pace, uh, a goalkeeper without an ability to uh, claim successfully, a striker without a, an ability to, to drop in and link up play. We have a very specific profile to our tactics and we need those players to match it. And those players don't come cheap. So it's those things that I think contribute to us paying top dollar at the moment. Yeah, I mean, when you mentioned inflation, after the Neymar transfer, I mean, everything's been all, we can throw, we can tear the rule book on transfers and throw it out the window because anything's game nowadays. And, I mean, and, but even then, 
if you go back and look at inflation over the years, the kind of sums we're paying for the players now are not that much when you take inflation into account. I mean, uh, I think to date, the most expensive striker when you take inflation into account is uh, Shevchenko when he came to Chelsea. And uh, this is mentioned in the in the great uh, Tomkins articles. If you, I don't know if you guys have read it, but uh, I mean, it's when you look at the prices that were paid at that point in time by the new money that came into Chelsea and City, and when you take inflation into account, the prices that we're paying today, especially after the Neymar transfer, are not that much. Revenues have gone up significantly. Champions League money, TV money, it is madness out there so for the amount of revenue we're making our buys are not that expensive they're more than uh, how would you say uh, affordable for us so there should not be an issue the price should not be a factor at all okay some more really great really interesting points there guys um i'm going to just briefly ask one more question on the lines of statement number 10 because you both sort of seem keen to sort of make the point that this isn't necessarily a statement of intent but but the fact remains even if Liverpool aren't necessarily spending above their means even aren't necessarily buying players that are out of their limit the fact is even if it's within our means we are still spending more on players and we are still uh, buying better players so do you not think this is at this stage Liverpool showing that they are ready to to make that next step up and go for a title run whereas in, in the past the signings we've made have been terrific but they've not necessarily been consistently title-worthy. I think that, that again, is a product of circumstance and contingency. Um, I think if if we wanted these players before, we wouldn't have been able to get them. And I think that it's just the... It just so happens that we have hyperinflation in, in the football market right now, which makes us seem like we're buying these players to win the title. We've been trying to win the title, or we're trying to build towards winning the title or even trying to build towards a position where we can buy the players in order to win the title for several seasons now. I think we're finally in that position where we can buy those players so we are able to win the title, or at least able to compete. Uh, we have this specific profile, we're trying to match it, and I don't really feel like Klopp's going yeah, and saying, bang, title. It's about getting that squad ready so you're able to challenge. It's about working towards that. And you, you can't do that straight away. You can't bring in, uh, let's let's see how many players that we've brought in, uh, uh, big players, so Van Dijk, Alisson, uh, Fabinho, Keita, Salah, I won't count, so around five, that's five big players that we've brought in, uh, and I don't think you'd be able to do that in one window usually, you've got to be able to show progression, to attract other players, uh, to, to have a team ethic, a, a culture, an identity, uh, and you don't know what you need until you know. You, you might be, you might have a few players and they might not work out. Uh, you might be scouting a player and, uh, they look like they're the one and you bring them in and they're not quite the one. It, it's about, you've got to take your time with, with getting to grip of what you need. And I think that's why we're in this position now. Uh, a sort of, an approach by Klopp and the, Transfer committee in particular, which has shown at least that they have a long-term strategy, and I think we're working with that, and probably ahead of schedule, uh, but nonetheless we're working with that in order to win that title eventually. Now I completely 
completely agree. I mean, we there is a clear plan in place, and uh, I agree with the circumstance point too. These are the players that we need right now. We need these players to come into our first level and bolster the team in the places that need strengthening. So, and they just happen to cost what they happen to cost, and so it's okay if we can afford it. There is no issue when paying the price. In general, I think. Our transfer business has been very smart, not only for the past couple of years, but before that, when we got in a lot of players whom initially everyone thought was okay, there was some bust, but not all of them. Some of them have come through, and uh, we made some smart buys like Milner. I mean, what a what 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 a brilliant piece of business. I mean, you get a player on a free. Okay, you pay him a little bit more in wages, but then look at the work he's done for us, and look at the work he does to date. And uh, when you have this kind of places, players in place in place already, it's only natural to go and get players who can replace them in the first level and move them into squad positions. So it's only natural that our signings get better and bigger. And as maybe, who knows, we might break the record again. In the next transfer window. Okay, I mean, I I've not contributed much to this conversation because I've been really really enjoying listening to you guys talk. You both got a really really good grasp on the situation. I find it really really interesting to sort of listen to the um the perspectives here because um obviously a lot of the sort of the general conversation is just about how Liverpool is spending loads of money. They're all good players. That Liverpool are buying. Ergo, this must be sort of Liverpool doing something differently. Um, but I completely agree with the pair of you. I think it's just a case of Liverpool spending within their means. Obviously, their means has gone up, and obviously, it's a bit of a cycle of quality almost. You know, we have good seasons. Good seasons mean we have more money to spend because we do better in the league and better in the Champions League. That, in turn, means that we're a more attractive prospect for new players, which, in turn, of course, means we could spend more money on players, which, of course, means that the next summer, if we have another good season, etc., etc. So, yeah, I think it's really, really good. I think one thing I would say is I think you maybe are both potentially giving FSG a little more credit then maybe they're due. They've not made, I think, obviously they've made some good signings over the years, but it has taken the introduction of someone like Klopp to very much sort of, maybe not rein them in, but like, as you say, the transfer committee didn't always work. And that's not necessarily FSG in particular's fault, but it does mean that it took someone like Klopp to really get the, um, get the system going. Um, which, as I say, is not necessarily a bad thing for FSG, but I do think it kind of indicates how important Klopp is to this system. Even someone like Edwards was having to wrestle against Rodgers, as we say. Like, you know, it's really, really interesting. If you look back at uh, summer of 2015, there are people writing articles being like, who, who does this Michael Edwards person think he is buying players like Roberto Firmino? Whether it, when Brendan Rodgers has gone out and wanted to sign a good old-fashioned striker like Christian Benteke, that kind of thing. Um, but no, yeah, this has been a really, really interesting discussion, guys, and I really enjoyed both your thoughts on it. Um, I completely agree with both of you as well, as, as, as I often do. Um, so we will move on now to do some plugs. And Hamza, I will let you plug first. Is there anything else you wanted to push, obviously, other than the article that we've discussed today? Um, well, yeah, there's this article. There's um, one on football and faith that I think might be a bit pertinent, bearing in mind the, the coverage of uh, uh, Arsenal in recent days. Uh, and also there's a piece that I've got on um, on Carrius What Next. I think that perhaps a, a move on loan would be best for him. And as we start the season, my tactical pieces uh, post-match will be out. Uh, so keep an eye out for them. They'll be coming back soon. But yeah, I'm on Twitter at HamzaKL97. Okay. And Puny, is there anything that you wanted to uh, plug? Anything you wanted to 
look have a look at and maybe just throw your Twitter in there as well? Uh, no, I'm a newbie. I really don't have anything I need to plug. So if you guys just want to follow me on Twitter, most of the time I talk LFC and other stuff too. It's uh, at the rate Puneet Anasazi. That's A N A S A Z I. Okay, wicked stuff. Um, I'm I mean I obviously follow both of you on Twitter already, but if I wasn't, <laughs> I would be following them after this discussion. Um, so I've got a couple of bits out. Um, I've got an article on Sturridge and Lalana, basically looking at their numbers and suggesting whether or not they still have something to contribute. And I've also done a face-off pod, which is always great fun because Kay's a terrific host. Um, that's always good fun. We talked about quite a lot of stuff. We talked about Sturridge and Lalana again. Also the central midfield issues, who starts in our midfield, who starts at centre-back. So some really good, interesting discussions there. Um, and then, of course, I'm always going to plug this pod because this pod is something that myself and Liani obviously can't make it this week put a lot of work into um we go out and we have to we read a lot of articles we have to obviously get guests and all that kind of stuff um but but really it's really fun to do i mean i, I really enjoy these pods because i can just sit back and listen to two brilliant people talk about stuff that they have a really good idea on it means we get to sort of gurge through lots of fantastic content and as i as i always say we could not do this pod without brilliant writers and brilliant writers who write consistently and it really helps that we can get we've got such a good wealth of quality to choose from um, but we will be back again next week, uh, similar sort of time. As usual, we haven't got the, uh, the exact day nailed down yet, but it will be middle of the week as usual. Uh, um, and thank you very, very much for coming on, guys. I appreciate both of you coming on, spending your Wednesday evening chatting with me about Liverpool. And thank you so much for listening. We will be back. Podcast Network.